0: You read a, a chapter like that and you wonder how it is that three of our world's major religions look to Abraham as a model of what it means to live a life of faith. I don't know. I, 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 I might have missed something in what Rob just read in this chapter, but I, I don't see anything in what was just read that makes Abraham... Someone that I want to imitate. Yeah, nothing. And you might be sitting out here going, well, hey, Steve, you know, you might want to just kind of raise your hand and go, I've been here for the last several weeks. I've been hearing us tell, tell you know, you've been telling us that Abraham's a mentor for us to follow. You know? So what's the deal? Well, not today. Okay. Uh, and as many times as I've read this chapter, I can't find anything that gives me uh, a reason to say that Abraham's a mentor to follow, from what I read in this chapter. In fact, very opposite. It, it, it's an extremely uh, disappointing uh, uh, chapter in the lives of, of these two people, Abraham and Hagar. It's a brutal chapter. And Abraham and ha- Sarah are, are the ones who are brutal, okay? Brutal in how they treated Hagar. Uh, I mean, Read this. We don't see two people that are acting like heroes, not especially not heroes of, of, of the faith. And and what we what we what we see are are two very, very deeply flawed, infallible human beings. That's interesting, when you think of the fact that through this series I've emphasized that Abraham Abraham's a mentor to follow because he knew his true north. He was. Committed to making it happen, his true north being God's calling in his life, God's calling for him to be a blessing to the world. Well, and then a mentor for us to follow because he, he, he knew the foundation on which he was basing his life. He, he built his life, the foundation being the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ and the promise. Of eternal life and so you, you look at that you, you he knew his foundation he he knew what his true north was and and you you go well what happened what happened what we see today is Abraham going south um, spiritually south and and not just a, a little south like big-time south okay big-time south um, Abraham totally failed to live up to God's call to be a blessing. Totally. And, and, and the worst place of all, that he did it. Worst possible place, he, not to be a blessing. And that, that was within his own home, within his own family. What takes place in this chapter, what we've just read, is why some people decide that they don't want anything to do with the Bible. They, they read what we've just read and they, they say to themselves, and I can understand why, they say, this is disgusting, it, it condones slavery, it demeans, demeans women, it's immoral, it's offensive, it, it's why I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with the Bible and why I don't want to have anything to do with the God of the Bible, the God the Bible proclaims to be God. You might be thinking that right now, honestly, I mean... Or it might be that you read a chapter like this out of the Bible or another chapter that's similar to it, and and every time you read it, it it creates just this little bit of doubt in your mind. And I can understand why. And so I I think, you you know, they always say it's better to deal with the elephant in the room right away and so I think I think before I I go on and I say anything else I think it's best to deal with this one and and the answer comes down to what's really the the key message the primary message of the Bible and that's God's grace God's grace so again just so it's clear for everybody no question about it what what Abraham and Sarah did in this chapter was absolutely wrong. There's nothing I can say today to, to excuse it, to make them look any better than, than what they did. Absolutely nothing, eh? Nothing. So what do we do? What do we do with a chapter like this? What, if, if you're sitting out here today and, and you're just struggling with this and you're saying, man, this just, this just pushes me away from the Bible, if... If I could have a, a, you know, like a one-on-one conversation with you, what, what what would I want to say to you? Two things, okay? Two things. What we see in this chapter not only helps us understand how deeply flawed and fallible we are as human beings. I mean, that's what we see in Abraham and Sarah. Flawed, Fallible. Not only does it help us understand that about people, but it also helps us understand the, the full extent, the, the, the immensity. I mean, the, the, you, you can't even measure God's grace in our life. It's so great. God's, God's, God's love for us, God's mercy for us, God's, you know, just waiting to forgive us. Now... Here's what's so good about this and and so important to understand about the Bible. The difference between the Bible and every other religious book that's written is that the Bible doesn't... In in no way does it try to cover up the the weaknesses, the the fallibility, the failures of of people in the Bible. There's, There's no cover up. It's very open. The Bible's very transparent about about everything that the characters in the Bible did. And and even to the point of showing them at their absolute worst, which is what Abraham and Sarah were, no question about it, in the 16th chapter. They they were at their worst. And I, I would even say, truthfully, it doesn't get much lower than what they did to Hagar. It doesn't get much lower. And what it does is that it points us to our need, just like it points to their need of God's grace, that... It points to our need of God's grace, which, which really everybody... This is, this is like the big takeaway today. That is the key message of the Bible, the primary message of the Bible. The amazing grace and love of God for a sinful human race. You, you see, as much as it's true that the Bible is filled with men and women who are mentors for us to follow because of the character of their lives, it's equally true that these men and women had times in their life when they blew it spiritually. Times when, when what's true for all of us became so evident in each one of their lives. And that's the truth that every person who's ever lived, I mean, even the best of the best are moral and spiritual failures. All of us. we We've all made choices, we've all acted out of, out of the self-centeredness of our hearts, out of, out, of, out, of our, out of our own sinfulness, our sinful human nature, and, and, you know, and, and doing this in, instead of doing what we, we know is right and what God wants us to do, every time we do that, showing us our need of God's grace. That's the key message of the Bible, and that's thing I'd, I want us all to walk out of here today, more than anything else, the Bible is a record of God's grace in the lives of people who don't deserve it, who don't seek it, who, who resist it. And many times, after we've experienced it, we don't, we don't even appreciate it. I know that's me. I've done that. The Bible's all about God's grace. God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. God's grace... And in pursuing us, not giving up on us. I mean, over and over again, God's done that in my life. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one here today. So, if a chapter like this pushes you away from the Bible and away from God, please know, please know this, okay? What Abraham and Sarah did, they did out of sinful disobedience. None of it was acceptable to God. It all pointed to their need of God's grace and God's forgiveness. And what was true for them is true for us. That's the most important thing to learn. Okay? Now, let's dig into chapter. Let's dig into this chapter and as I looked at it, I think it's a story of five characters. All right? There's a desperate woman, It's an irresponsible man, an exploited slave. And then one I I didn't actually see in the text, in Scripture, so I inserted it, okay, if you don't mind. A courageous friend. And then finally, a loving stranger. Each one teaches us something. Uh, You know, when I started this series, I mentioned Wayne Cordero's book, uh, The Divine Mentor. And he said, Jesus... uh, It's on how to study the Bible. And he said, Jesus Christ is the greatest mentor we can have. And then he said, the Bible is filled with men and women who are mentors on what to do and what not to do. Okay? We can learn both ways. And that's what we've got here today. So let's begin with a desperate woman. Any guesses who that might be? Huh? Sarah. Right. In fact, if you look at the text, her name is Sarai in here before God changed her name to Sarah. And the first sentence in verse 1 shows us why she's as desperate as she is. This statement, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This, this made Sarah desperate for two reasons. For two reasons. The first was the cultural expectation that a wife would bear children for her husband. And with this, the hope that she'd give birth to a son, at least, at least one boy. All right. It was very important to ha- back then to have a son to carry on the family name and to take over the family's estate once dad died. Okay, the estate back then including land and, and a bunch of animals, and which back then was not a woman's thing to do so much back then. That's not so true today. Okay. I remember um, a farmer in our church when I grew up. Quite a uh, quite a bit younger than my dad. He had a lot of land, and uh, he and his wife were actually leaders of our youth group. They were kind of in their 30s, you know, pretty young, maybe even in their 20s, and uh, kind of just starting out. I think he was taking over his dad's farm, and and uh, uh, back then, just like it was with Abraham, and and you know, they 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 want to have a son. They want to have a boy, you know. Take, help his dad farm, and, and uh, it was just kind of fun to watch because they, they kept trying. And they had like one girl, and then another girl, and then another girl, and another girl, and another girl. And another girl. I think they got up to six girls until they finally said, you know, enough, enough already, and let's give this up, and, and, and they quit trying. That, that's kind of the deal here, okay? <laughs> Sarah had not been able to do what was expected. She was 65 years old when they first got into Canaan. Abraham was 75 years old. It's now 10 years later. So do the math. And I think it's pretty easy to understand. It's getting, it's getting kind of late in the game. All right. Like, yeah, you know, like when's it going to happen? So that's the first reason she's desperate. She hasn't been able to have a child, a boy. The second reason is Sarah's view of God in all of this. She, you see, Sarah lost sight of God's grace. Instead of seeing God for her, she saw God against her, which, is, which becomes very evident in what she said to Abram in this uh, 16th chapter. And again, verse 1, we read, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar or slave. And Rob was right the way he read it, slave. So she said to Abram, the Lord, the Lord has kept me from having children. Notice that statement? The Lord's kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Um, It's like, you know, it's like she's saying, uh, Abraham, you tell me. You tell me God's for this child to be born, that God's going to help me. I don't see it this way. Okay? I see God opposing me. I, I, and You know what, Abraham? I don't want to wait for God anymore. I'm done with plan A. I, I want to move to plan B. And, 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 and the thing you and I've got to understand is that this isn't something like nobody had ever done before. Okay? She didn't come up with the idea. It was common back then. It was legal. It was culturally acceptable. She's giving Hagar to Abraham as a sort of secondary wife. Culturally acceptable, but not God's plan and not acceptable with God. So important to understand that. The Bible tells us what happened. It doesn't tell us that God approves everything that happens. Sarah did this to get a son and He'd be her son because Hagar was her slave. Hagar is Sarah's property. And that meant that everything that belonged to Hagar, including her own children, would be Sarah's children, not Hagar's children. Not a good deal for Hagar. Once again, culturally acceptable. It's the way it was, but it's not what God wanted. Slavery and all the evil that went with it was never acceptable to God. So important for us to know this, okay? This happened. Scripture records it but, it, it, but it's something that God never, never, never approved. If you think this is bad, it gets worse, okay? So verse 4, Abram agrees to Sarah's plan, and we read this. Um, he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now she knows that she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Not good conversation here. Abram said, your servant's in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. And, 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 And then we read, Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. What happens now, because of what Sarah did, is that everything becomes very complicated and very cruel. Hagar gets status within the community because she's bearing Abram's child. And so she stops thinking of her as a slave. And and my guess is that that she started looking Sarah right in the eye with a bit of a sneer on her face. Like, you know, like, Sarah, you know... You're not so great anymore. To say say the least, Sarah would not have felt good about the, the physical intimacy between Hagar and her husband. And she blames Abram for the situation she's now in. And Abram, in his unbelievable callousness, tells her to do whatever she wants to do with Hagar. I mean, look at this great hero of the faith right now, right? It's like he's saying to her, what are you all been out of shape about? She's your slave. Just do with her whatever you want to do with her. And Hagar does whatever she wants to do. She or uh, Sarah does whatever she and she she beats Hagar and, and 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 Hagar runs. Okay. Now there's nothing good here in what Sarah did. Nothing excusable. And the same goes for Abram. And we're going to talk about Abram in a minute. But. What can we learn from Sarah? What do we learn from this? Well, I think we learn this. It all went south for Sarah for two reasons, okay? Number one, and boy, this is, we got to get this. Number one, she based her worth on what her culture said gave her worth, okay? Which for a woman back then was having children, That's how you knew you were. You were worth something, that you were valuable as a woman if you had had children. If you didn't have children in a culture back then, man, you just weren't worth anything in in the eyes of many people. You know what? The application here for all of us is that there has never been a culture that didn't create create its own expectation for what gives a person value, what gives a person worth. I mean, sure, every culture tells us what you and I need to be and what you and I need to do. And, and, and you know what, everybody? Every time we allow our culture, you know, where we're, we're driven by it, you know what? We go south spiritually. We go south spiritually. And, and you know what? It's so unfortunate because it begins so early in life. I think the pressure's even on. I mean, from, you know, talking with people, I think the pressure's even on before our children are old enough to be in school it can be subtle and sometimes it's not subtle at all you know and and it seems like it accelerates with each year you know things like how a person looks or who or who are their friends or what kind of abilities do they have you know their their academic success how they dress i mean we could just go on and on with all the things that our society today says gives a person worth and value this being true okay I think one of the best things we can do for our children is build into them a sense of value that's not based on anybody's expectations, including our own, but but instead a, a sense of worth, a sense of value that's based on God's love for them. And for a child, I think understanding God's love begins with the security of knowing that they're loved by us. Not, not because of what they do or don't do, but simply because we love them. I will never forget way back in the 80s when I was still this young guy in the 30s. And there was a guy in our church by the name of Lindy Lindquist. I've told you this before and I'll tell it again because I think it's worth repeating. Uh, before Lindy left town, they, he had three sons. And I said, give me your, your, your best piece of advice about leadership and your best piece of advice about being a father. And, and he said, about being a father, he said, just love him. Just love him. Boy, you can do that, you know? we can do that. And for all of us, it's being aware that what our culture says gives us worth. You know what? That changes with age. The, the, the pressure to conform never changes. How it looks changes. And the consequences only get greater, you know? if we do conform, Um, middle school, high school, college, you know, the the pressure to do what everybody else is doing sexually, alcohol, drugs, uh, uh, cheating, doing whatever it takes to be liked and get what we think we need. I mean, all of these pressures, these, these expectations, they begin young and they... They carry all the way through into adulthood. You know what? Which, by, by the way, has its own set of expectations, right? That where we're told that you have worth. That is, if, you have, if you're, you have career success, if you have financial success, if your children are successful. You know? So for all of us, everybody, all of us, whatever our age may be, it's so important... To base your worth, your value on God's love for you, on God's grace. That, you know, um, God loving you, not because of who you are or what you do or don't do. But God simply loving you because of his grace. God's grace giving, giving his, his son to be our savior. Now, I would just say to you this morning, if you're here today... And you've been struggling with this one and and, and you've been looking to other things to give you a sense of worth. You know what what I encourage you to do? It's like draw yourself a line in the sand and as you walk out of this building today say, you know what, I'm going to, I no longer have to base my worth on that. My worth, my value is is based on God loving me. God loving me. Oh, it's so important to get a hold of. Sarah lost sight of that. It's a close, I think it's, a, it's closely connected to the second thing that pointed her south, and it said she didn't trust God. She didn't trust God. Sarah, Sarah's twisted view of God, God's against me, not for me, blaming God, thinking she knew better than God. I'm convinced that there's nothing that takes a person south faster than, than this. Not trusting God, blaming God, thinking we know better than God. I look back on what's soon to be 37 years of being a pastor, and I can unfortunately think of more than a few people whose spiritual life uh, went south because they, they decided to stop trusting God. They, They got into blaming God because things didn't go the way they hoped and expected them to go in their life. And and, and they started thinking that they knew better than God how life should be for them and and how to get where they wanted to get. And and you know what? Spiritually, it it just went south for them. I've seen that over and over again. So with a pastor's heart, I mean, with everything inside of me, all right, from God's word in front of what I've seen in life, I want to encourage you to keep on trusting God no matter what comes into your life. I want to tell you, you have every reason to trust God, every reason, and it's the best thing you can do for yourself, and it's the best thing you can do for the people you love. It's trusting God. That's Sarah, and, and then there's Abraham, and who's clearly an irresponsible man, okay? <laughs> No other way to say it. Irresponsible. Irresponsible to agree with Sarah's plan B. Irresponsible to go along with it. And if, you, if, if uh, you, you know, irresponsible to tell Sarah to do whatever Sarah wanted to do with Hagar. He chooses not to be the spiritual leader God called him to be. And everyone's life blows up. It does terrible stuff to Sarah. It does even worse stuff to Hagar. And if you read all the way into chapter 21, you know what you find out? You realize that it created years of strife within his family. So here's what this says to me, all right, to me. Abraham not being the spiritual leader God called him to be and how it all ends for him and for his family emphasizes to me how important it is for us and I'm going to speak to us as men today for us as husbands and fathers to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. Now here's what I think we learn from what Abraham didn't do. Okay? First and most important, he didn't care for the spiritual need of his wife. He did nothing to help Sarah understand God's grace. Absolutely nothing. In fact, what he did was the very opposite of showing her God's grace. He just went along with her plan. You know? It's so sad. I mean, and, and, and no question about it, guys. Caring for the spiritual need of the person you're married to. I mean, I know it goes both ways. Husbands for wives and wives for a husband. But for this morning, today, I'm going to say it this way. Guys, we're called by God to lead in this. Hey. Okay? And man, I've got to say, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we are growing in our understanding of God's grace, if we're growing in our relationship with God, if we're growing to be more like Jesus Christ ourselves. And guys, one of the, one of the most basic things we've got to be doing for this to happen is to be in God's word every single day to have that discipline. It's just not going to happen if we're not. The second thing... Abraham didn't do which I think is so sad so tragic when problems came into his family he didn't want to be bothered did you notice that Sarah came to him with the problem and her frustration and all that you know what it's like he did it's like he dismissed her with a curt do what you want to do Sarah don't bother me any one of you guys doing that with your family these days you're so involved with work or sports or whatever other stuff that's become so important to you. You're, you're ignoring what's happening at home. You know, there's problems at your home, in your home, but you're disengaged. You're, you're, you're ignoring what's happening because you don't want to be bothered. What, what you're really doing is you're giving like you're you're giving your family the bottom 5% of you rather than. The top 95% of you. If you're hearing me right now and and you're saying, Yeah, Steve, I hear you. But boy, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Here's what I want to encourage you. Find one or two other men that you respect. Who you see, man? They're doing it right. And go to them and be honest with them and say, "Man, I need help. You got to speak into me. You got to help me understand how to care for my family the way, way I should." And and or let us know if you don't have any guy in your life that you can look to. Man, let us know. We we want to help you because I'm convinced that with guidance you can do it. So there's Sarah and there's. Abraham and then there's Hagar and, and in this chapter I, I see I, 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 the way I see it is Hagar is an exploited slave it was very wrong for Abraham and Sarah to make her their slave very wrong it was wrong for them to force her to have a child that they had every intention of taking away from her. Can you imagine that? Taking that child away from her. Not just one, but more than one child. And, and then, you know, it was, I mean, there's no question it was wrong for Sarah to, to beat Hagar in every way Hagar was exploited. I mean, it's so tragic. When you think of the opposite of what Abraham and Sarah could have done for Hagar, they could have, they could have helped her understand God's grace and God's love by loving her and caring for her. You know? It's just so tragic. So what do we do with this? You now what, what do we learn from Hagar's experience? You know what? I think perhaps it's not so much being... You know that we we got to learn something but more that to to be reminded that what happened to Hagar back then is happening to thousands of people in our world today. They're being exploited. You know? and it's not closing our eyes to the reality of this. Not shutting our eyes, but, but making ourselves as, as aware as we possibly can to what's taking place in our world today. And then committing ourselves to doing what we can do to stop it. Several years ago, I came across this... Uh, Uh, organization that I get emails from them every week now it's called the International Justice Mission and it has God's grace written all over it because what they're doing is they are literally going into different parts of our world including people in the United States and rescuing them from bondage from slavery whether it's there be uh, it's it's women who are being forced into prostitution very young girls or boys being forced into it they're going in and they're rescuing them from slavery and I don't know if you realize it, but slavery is even going on in the United States. It's not shutting our eyes to this, but making ourselves aware. And I encourage you, man. Go, go, you know, go on, go online and look them up and see what they do. Just they're, they're always sending things to pray about. I just just love it, and I just love. I think somebody's doing that right now on their iPad. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> That's great. That's cool. That's good. All right. All right. Now, um, I read this 16th chapter, everybody. And I'm thinking to myself, too bad there's not another character in this story. And so you know what I did? I, I, I inserted one, okay? And I call him a courageous friend. A courageous friend to Sarah, a courageous friend to Abraham who, when here? she saw the direction they were headed, spoke truth into their lives. I wish they would have had somebody like this, because you know what? It could have made such a difference for them. I'm convinced of this. I think of a, of a small group in our church years ago, way back in the 80s, where it, become, it became obvious to everybody involved that one of the guys was not treating his wife the way a husband should treat his wife. They didn't shut their eyes to this. They didn't pretend it wasn't their responsibility to do something about it. You know what? The men in this group had the courage to, to do a sit-down conversation with this guy, with with this husband and their friend. They set up a meeting and they lovingly, and I emphasize that, lovingly confronted him with what they were seeing that was so wrong. That was a courageous thing to do and it was a gracious thing to do. And you know what's so cool about that? It, 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 it worked. It may be that you have a friend right now, maybe even a fellow believer, who needs someone to speak truth into their life. Someone to do what takes courage to do. Someone to do what is the most gracious and the most loving thing that you and I could do for another person in that situation. You might have somebody like that right now. And the thing I want to encourage you to do is do it. Do it. I mean, absolutely do it with a whole bunch of love. But boy, they need to hear the truth. Now, fifth character in the story, the person I'm calling a loving stranger. We have the victim... Now, Hagar, we, we have the perpetrators Abraham and Sarah. Hagar's fled into in, you know from Sarah's abuse. She's, she's hiding in the desert, and and then we read this in in verse seven and verse eleven. I love this. It says the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And then you read this in verse eleven. The angel of the Lord also said to her. You're now with child, and you will have a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. And I love this part for the Lord, for God has heard your misery. Here's the hero, okay? It's a hero. Here, here's the mentor to follow. This loving stranger identified here as the angel of the Lord, who I don't know if you realize this or not, if you've ever heard this, but many biblical scholars believe that this is none other than Jesus Christ himself. This is a a pre-incarnate appearance of of God's son, Jesus Christ. (laughs) They believe this for two reasons. First, because he's un- unlike any other angel ever mentioned in Scripture. There, there are angels who, in the Bible who show up and they talk to people. And all of these angels make it very clear, I'm not God. In fact, there's a fun one in the book of Revelation where John, an angel appears to John. And, you know, the, John falls down and starts worshiping him. And he's like, he freaks the angel out. And he just said, get up, get up, get up, I'm not God. You know, that, that kind of thing. Don't do that, John. You know, this angel doesn't do that here. Let me, let me show you. When Hagar responds to the angel calling him God, the angel didn't correct her. The angel never said, I'm not God. Look look at this, verse 13. Um, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. So she's speaking to the angel and she said, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She said that and the angel didn't say to her, oh, no, 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 no. Don't say that. I'm, I'm not God. He, di- he, didn't, he didn't say that. And then in verse 10, when the angel made a promise, he made it speaking as God had spoken to Abraham years before. Here's what he said. He said, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. He said, I'm going to do this. So think of this, everybody, right? The creator of the universe having this conversation with a slave woman, a very non-threatening one-on-one conversation. You know, I couldn't help but think of the contrast. When when God came down on top of Mount Sinai, and we talked about that last week, and in the thunder and the lightning, and and it just was so overwhelming to everybody. They ran away from the foot of the mountain. None of that here. God is coming, and there's this Very, you know, very personable, very engaging, one-on-one conversation. I just think it's beautiful. And he tells her that the child she's carrying is a boy. And he gives her his name, his name Ishmael, which means God hears. God hears so that every time she said his name, she'd be reminded that God heard her cries and and she'd be reminded that God's going to keep on hearing her cries. It's like you just want to stop with that for a minute, you know, and just let it sink in. God hears our cries. God, God is so gracious. God's grace is so great that he hears us every single time we cry out to him in our need God hears our cries God hears God's so gracious so loving see that's the most important thing to remember from chapter 16 that's why that's why I I actually love chapter 16 because it shows me how much I need God's grace and it shows me God's grace The grace of God in all of our lives. The Bible's all about God's grace. God's grace through his son Jesus Christ. God's grace pursuing us. God's grace not giving up on us. God's grace rescuing us. I mean, he did it for me. He's done it for me over and over and over again. Again and again and again. And God did this for a woman by the name of Hagar. She she was an Egyptian. She was not a Hebrew. And you know what? We never find anywhere that she ever showed any faith in the promise of God to Abraham but that being true God still heard her cries and God still came to her and God still cared for her she was an exploited woman and God cared for her God met her In her need. And that's why I read a chapter like this. And it draws me to God. Because it points me to the grace of God. And it it makes me want to examine my own life. and, And it makes me want to be like my Savior and my Lord. To be gracious to every person that God brings into my life. That's my takeaway. You know. To be like God. To be gracious. To be gracious. You know, I thought it' would be a lot of fun this morning and inspiring to meet someone who's been doing this, and so I've asked Christy Taylor to join me up front and um, i I actually asked Christy first service and found out that uh, she began attending Brookside at about ten years old, right Christy and um, Christy, tell everybody you, you know you know you know what's what? I don't know if you all realize this or not, but but Ishmael is considered by the Muslims to be the ancestor of Muhammad. Okay? That's where they all trace their ancestry to. So Christy, who are, who are you, uh, how are you serving God today? But who are you serving? Yeah,
1: right now I'm, uh, I'm working in Athens, Greece, working with Muslim refugees who are coming to Athens. they there the last four
0: years. Oh, wonderful. Hagar was a refugee. Um, and you're serving refugees today. Yeah. yeah. Muslim refugees. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, tell us how you got there. I, just, I love your journey. We're talking about journeys. Yeah. Now.
1: Well, my journey to missions started about 20 years ago, actually, when I was an elementary uh, school student listening to a missionary speak at this church in a vacation Bible school program. <laughs> I love it. Um, and God used that missionary to speak really the idea of missions into my heart from a young age. And that stuck with me throughout high school, college and beyond. And I started looking for opportunities to, uh, to do missions. So I took some short-term trips and I started reaching out to foreigners in this city. Um, I got very involved with international students through UNO um, and had the chance to share the gospel with many people in Omaha were from countries uh,
0: with very little exposure to the gospel. And I, I had, you know, I mentioned first service, I had oh. completely forgotten that, but I remember that now, how mm-hmm. involved you were there. And, you know, I just want to say, here, I mean, talk about having a mentor. We got a mentor here, okay? okay. I mean, I mean uh, grade school started understanding what your true north was, um, you know, God's call in your life and, and how intentional you've been all of these years. I mean, that just speaks volumes to me. On, on what's so important for us to do, so I love it, and I interrupted you. Oh,
1: that's okay. oh. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually, God began telling me that it was time for me to actually go into missions. So my desire was to work with unreached people groups. That is what God had been putting in my heart, and I came from a social work background, so I wanted to work with people that, in a way, that met their physical needs along with spiritual. Huh. So I looked those two two criteria of unreached groups and physical needs. Eventually, led me to an organization working with refugees in Athens, where I'm now. So I'm thrilled for the opportunity to regularly to share the gospel of the freedom and love of Christ with people who are trapped in a religious system that's based on fear and really trying to conform to a set of rules in an attempt to earn righteousness.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and boy, the stories that you shared first service um, share that with everybody.
1: Yeah, well, Jesus told us that our love for each other will show God the Father to the world. <laughs> So many times Muslims have told me about how they've been profoundly impacted, and very surprised by the love they've experienced from Christians. Many times that love um, will actually be a part of leading Muslims to follow Jesus. Huh. So I want to tell you a little bit about my Afghan friend Zina. Yeah. I've known her the whole time that I've been in Athens for the past four years. She's come very faithfully to the refugee center I work at. She started coming uh, because of her need for food and for clothing and for a shower. That's what drew her to us. But what kept her coming was the love and friendship that she experienced. Uh-huh. So she came week after week. And as a Muslim, she first uh, she heard about Christ in the Bible through our weekly outreach programs. And a couple years ago, started coming to a Bible study that I helped to lead, along with a few other missionaries there, actually including uh, Tasha Hayes, who our church also supports. Yeah. Um, and last April, Zainab gave her life to the Lord.
0: Say her name again. Zainab. Zainab. Zayna. Zainab? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to remember that.
1: <laughs> um, so... Months after, though, afterwards, after she became a follower of Christ, she was terrified to tell anybody about that. The costs can be very great for a Muslim background believer. She's a single mother of four, uh, without male protection in a society that very much depends on that. But over time, the internal changes in her life won out um, over the over the fear she experienced. God's Spirit changed her from the inside out, and really, she's a different person than she was a year ago. She's. Uh, She's kind and compassionate to others, seeking ways to serve even fellow refugees around her. Um, Just a few weeks ago, I heard from some friends in Greece about another Afghan woman who's become a believer. She was second highest in the mosque in Athens, on the women's side of the mosque. Um, And after she came to faith, she uh, boldly told everyone around her that she had decided to follow Jesus. Uh, This, though, consequently led her uh, to have several threats of violence and even death against her by other Afghans who were angered and threatened by her conversion. As Afghan women were talking about this uh, new believer and wanting to kill her, Zainab stood up for this new sister in Christ um, and defended her, thus bringing those threats on herself as well. Um, She told those women who were talking, kill me, I know where I'm going, but do you? Um, And she proceeded to read the Bible with them to women who were threatening her, uh, desiring for them also to find new life in Christ. I'm amazed at the strength and courage and boldness that Zainab has found in her relationship with the Lord. And praise God, really, for the life transformation that comes yeah. about through Christ.
0: Yeah, the grace of God. Yeah, power. not just, I mean, praise God, huh? Yeah, praise God. Why don't we, uh, let's stand together. I want to pray for Christy, and then uh, Rob will come and close our, our service. Um, you know, I, I maybe three words to walk out this morning, take with you. That just keep remembering, uh, God's for you. God's for you. God, God is totally a hundred percent for you. Okay, let's uh, let's pray. Father, uh, we do thank you for the truth of your grace through your Son Jesus Christ. May God, you. You consider us to have such worth and such value that you gave your son to be our Savior. And Jesus Christ came to this earth for us. And God, today we we just all join together and we want to pray for Christy and Tasha and, and others serving with them that Father, your Holy Spirit will, will strengthen them, give them wisdom, fill them, Father, with with your love for the people they're seeking to serve and to help. And may your grace be so evident through their lives. We ask, Father, that you would work through them. Father, give them opportunities to share Christ and to show the love of Christ. And and Father, strengthen every person who responds to the message and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Give them strength, Father, Father, to trust you with the rest of their life and, and everything they could lose. Father, help them understand that it's totally worth it. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for your glory. Amen. Thanks, Christy. Thanks so much.